G'day everybody, and for those who've come in late, you're listening to Expand the Phantom Podcast. He washed ashore the sole survivor of a shipwreck, and upon the skull of the man who killed his dad, he said, I'm mad, I must eradicate piracy, injustice and cruelty, and all my sons will follow me, so evildoers will believe that this man cannot die. The Phantom, the ghost who walks, the Phantom, Hello, we are the Chronicle Chamber team and this is X-Band the Phantom Podcast. Our website is chroniclechamber.com and you can contact us via our email at chroniclechamber at gmail.com. You can also subscribe to us uh, via YouTube, uh, iTunes, all the various Android apps as well. Now this is episode 189. Now we are lucky enough tonight to be chatting with not one but two creators and that is Matt Kime and Shane Folan. Uh, Shane Foley, sorry, the creative team behind the story in the latest free comic uh, at the time of recording, uh, and that is issue uh, 1892, Diana and the Heartbreaker Gang. Now, my name is Jermaine, and Dan, how are you, mate? Very good, Jim. Very good. Um, excited to be here tonight because I really love these podcasts where we get to really dive deep into a particular story and, and to be lucky enough to be talking to two, both members of the creative team um i don't think we've done this all that often like um in terms of having both members on um tony de paul and mike manley was a particular favorite for mine when we talked about reckoning with the nomad but uh, it's not often we get this sort of privilege to 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 dig into the minds of both the creative team i'm really looking forward to it yeah exactly now we won't we um we probably won't be reviewing this in our next comics and news podcast uh, because we're going to be spending probably the next hour and a half reviewing it. So <laughs> exactly. um, I think that's fair enough. But I, 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 I'm, I totally agree with you. It, it, it's awesome to be able to kind of get into their minds, into the creators, and and kind of learn a little bit more about how they think and why they did certain panels and did certain things. So now, before we introduce to the guys, now Matt and Shane have both been on the podcast, and Matt even has uh, hosted the podcast a couple of times as well. So Matt, uh, we were first introduced to Matt in episode 69, uh, which was um, regarding his demon comic. Um, a Date with the Demon, I think we date, called that. Yeah, A Date with the Demon. Um, I think that was your work, uh, coming up with that title. Um, <laughs> I then, do love my alliteration. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then Matt has also helped us during COVID uh, with some reviews of his own stories. Uh, these are all past stories. Um, now, these are, uh, I was about to say, issues but these are episodes 162 166 167 and 170 uh so make yeah. sure you go back and have a listen to some of those because you will kind of understand a little bit more about why matt did what he did if you listen to those podcasts if that makes sense now shane uh shane foley um we we chatted with him in episode 92 so that was only a, a hundred odd episodes ago um and then he also joined us for episode 120 and 121 now for those who have come in late or very late uh matt could you hello welcome could you tell us a little bit about yourself sure uh it's my pleasure it's funny when you were doing the the intro it took me back to those couple of uh episodes when i read through all that stuff so i could almost remember it word for word as we were saying it uh, I, did, I did a lot of takes of those i didn't want to muck them up <laughs> you, you held down the fort really, really well, Matt. <laughs> uh, it was a it was a pleasure, and it was an, an honour as well to be part of the show. 
So for, for anyone that hasn't seen those and, and is not familiar with me, um, the, the current Phantom in the shop at the moment, um, 1892, is a story that I wrote and I worked with um, Shane Foley, who's also on the screen, hopefully. Um, so it's my second comic out. Um, I've been a Phantom fan since the mid-'80s. Um, absolutely still love the character. Um, and I think people who are familiar with me will know that I've tried to go for a retro style. I'm very much into the, the 30s and 40s era of um, Falk and Moore and also McCoy. So that's, that's, the, you know, that's the rundown on me. Awesome. Um, and Shane, did you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, buddy? Uh, yeah, sure. I've um, been fortunate enough to be uh, doing some crew covers and some Phantom stories, mainly for Giant Size Phantom, since 2016, so it's about five years now. Mm. Uh, I first met the Phantom in the early 60s, and the first one I bought, I know, was number 286. Actually, my dad oh. bought it for me. And... Um, I even remember the cover and remember the story. And not that long ago, I went through um, some history stuff on the web and found out my memory was absolutely right. And I can vouch for, I may have said this before, but I think it's worth saying again, I can vouch for the fact that reading comics like The Phantom helps your reading because I can still remember getting an issue before 286, the first one I ever found in the caravan. And um, Devil was captured. And I knew his name was Devil. And all the natives would come up and point at him and say, it's Taboo, Taboo. And I remember thinking, no, 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 his name's not Taboo, it's Devil. <laughs> <laughs> so we were really getting comprehension right from the word back then. So, yeah, I remember the Phantom in the early 60s, the first comic I ever bought. And um, I, I still remember getting when um, Jim Shepard began reprinting the stories in unedited form, and I've bought all of them since then. But, it's, I'm probably a late, uh, late recruit to enjoying a lot of the Egmont ones. Uh, a lot of those are far better than I realised. So um, <laughs> you know, a lot of great Lee Fork stuff, a lot of great. Always love Wilson McCoy. I think his Diana, whom because of Matt I had the chance to do all this, so I think she was my first girlfriend. <laughs> 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 and always love Wilson McCoy's Diana and love early Scott so... I think yeah. this is just a match made in heaven that we work together on this, Shane. Everything you've said just then has made me like really appreciate you <laughs> as well. Um, I'm glad it worked. I remember one of my biggest fears at the start of it was that I wondered how you'd take it since you'd already drawn it and you were going through all sorts of problems with it. And, and I, I know I took a few liberties at times. I changed things around like, you know, two different directors of the same movie wanting to do things differently. Yeah. <laughs> and I hoped I hoped that I never stood on your toes too much. <laughs> not, not once. I'm thrilled. But yeah. I guess we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. So oh. I, <laughs> I'm loving being a fly on the wall in this conversation. Did you guys, yeah. it, it, have you guys not spoken since the comic came out? We've never met before. No. This is this is it. This is the first time um, we've, we've spoken. We've we've been emailing and on Facebook, but this is it's a it's a pleasure to meet Shane for the first time here. When when I did a first uh, a couple of panels or the first pages, I think I sent them to Matt to say, "Are you happy with this?" Because it was Glenn Ford I was talking to about it. Glenn and Dudley had sent it to me, and I thought, "Gosh, I hope Matt's happy with this." <laughs> and I didn't know the circumstances of it since he'd had his day in the races published. Uh, and that had got through, but this one didn't. I thought, oh, okay, I don't know. <laughs> so 
Well, it's only via email and stuff like that that I made sure that he was happy with what was going on. Awesome. Well, maybe we might press rewind a little bit and yeah. just start with Matt. Like, yeah. like, where did what was? If we could just go back to the beginning, tell us about the the, the conception of the story and the process, and then I guess tell us where you got to before the you know the drama and the heartache. Yeah. Um, and then we can kind of, uh, I guess, go from there a little bit. Well, I guess um, when um, A Day at the Races was released, you know, I had a lot sort of hedging on that. You know, I, I was really hoping to be faithful to the, the old um, school stories and I was hoping that it would be something that the, you know, real fans from, from way back would like. Uh, so on, on the day that that was released, the very day it hit the shelves, I got an email from Dudley saying that the response had been fantastic. They were really pleased, even though it was just the first day, you know, they'd already been receiving a lot of positive feedback from fans and from shops as well. They'd, they'd heard that the record, the, the sales were going really well. Yeah, wow. So in that email, I basically said, if you have any other ideas, shoot them to us and, um, we'll see where we go from there. So as that story focused mainly on Diana and Shane was just saying a moment ago that Diana was his first love and that's pretty much how I felt as well when, um, when I started reading The Phantom. Um, and I've said this in the podcast before, when I first started in the 80s, it was when through were releasing all those Ray Moore stories and, and they, to me, even now, are just my absolute favourite because Diana is, you know, so funny and so clever and so brave. So with the new story, I thought I want to I want to make sure that I make Diana the focus again because she's probably my favourite character out of all of them, even probably, you know, neck and neck with the Phantom himself. So I wanted to focus on her. Um, but I also wanted to bring in elements of the previous story. You know, I wanted to have Jimmy and Phyllis in the story, not as major characters, but to allude to them. And also allude to the previous story. So it's not a direct sequel, but readers will see that, you know, um, it is maybe some time has gone past. But I guess what I'm trying to do is trying to sneak my stories into the folk canon, yeah. uh, trying to make them <laughs> official. Well, and I was just thinking, just even the fact that you had that reference back to the previous, um, and it's something that I'll want to explore more later, but you do write very much in the 1930s newspaper strip genre where it's a it's that ongoing saga um, rather than, um, you know, a standalone story. Yeah. Well, you know, with the um, that, the races, I was explicitly asked by Fru, by Glenn in particular, to look at an existing story and do a sequel or a prequel. So I basically just got out all my phantoms, reread them all from that era. And the one which I wanted to do something with was um, Little Tomer. And I thought, here we are, the phantom is in England. Maybe what I'll do. And I also looked at, you know, what was going on around about that time in the previous story, the phantom and Diana, the, sorry, the diamond hunters, Diana and the phantom had decided to call it quits. And, you know, they, they had even been engaged, but they'd broken it off straight away and they hadn't gotten back together yet. So I wanted to use that little slice of time in between the Phantom and, the Di and Diana meeting again 
And I thought the perfect time would be straight after Little Tomma because the Phantom's in England and I, I orchestrated my story so Diana would come to England. But in that entire story, the two never met. Yeah. And there's all these scenes where they're literally in the, in the same hotel side by side or they, they, they cross each other in the street, but they never actually meet. So one of my... One of the things I wanted to explore the new story was to have them back together because I'd written them apart and now for my second story, I wanted to write them together and I want them to, you know, to have a good time, you know, to go to dress-up parties and I wanted Diana to be friends with Jimmy and Phyllis, like act like a normal girl, you know, act like a normal young woman, I mean. So, you know, I, I think that Diana her identity sort of disappeared over the years and I always wanted to bring her back to being a, a fun new New York socialite. So that's, I guess, the inception for the, the um, Diana and the Heartbreakers. I wanted it to be a Diana-focused story. I wanted to show them together very much in love. I wanted to show him, um, you know, go off and do his thing, but her also to have her own adventure. Mm. And you must have a, a sweet spot for Julie as well to uh, um, have Diana um, in her costume through the story at points. Yeah, so I wanted to make sure that the, the fan from this story, my, my second story, took place somewhere after the events of the, um, my first one, obviously, but also after Diana had first worn the Julie suit. Mm. So she, um, you know, that's referred to that she's going to wear it again. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah, that was a nice. It was a nice touch having, having, having that. And um, on social media, there was a few people also commenting about how they thought it was a nice touch as well. Yeah, yeah I saw that. I saw as well. Someone was saying that you know the there's been enough Julie stories. You know, it's probably it's, that that's been done. And yeah. um, you know, but that doesn't stop from doesn't stop Diana from getting into the costume every now and then. Yeah, and and I think like the Phantom, generally all twenty one generations of them marry very strong women, and I think you know there was uh, Flame, uh, who I think's the eighth or the twelfth uh, Phantom. You know she's worn the the outfit once as well. So I think there's you know uh, um, there's precedence for that, and I think if you know if they're a strong female, of course they should be able to with you know withhold their own. Mm. So we're getting sidetracked into talking about the, about the story and the characters when we, <laughs> um, we're trying to stay on the process for the moment. Um, in a sense, though, Matt, because something Jermaine and yourself have both alluded to uh, are about drama and that sort of stuff at some point in the process. So for those who've got no idea what, what happened, uh, what can you share with us about that, that process? Yeah, sure. So the, um, the day at the race has only just spread by you know, that's that's something that people might not know. That the, you mean in terms of King Peach's approval or King approval? Peaches. Yeah. So um, I guess I, I was pretty lucky to have that one get through in the first place. And the, the feedback for, for that story was that the, the, the story itself was excellent, but the, the art was ranged from poor to fair. So I had to go back to the drawing board for a lot of it. And I think I only just scraped through. And um, when um, I was working on this one, I was putting what I thought was a bit more effort into the panels. I was 
really referencing McCoy as much as possible. You know, a lot of the layouts that you've seen that Chains worked on were based on original McCoy pictures as you know, the show will come out. So I think what it sort of taught me was that um, to get the best product out, you know, the editors want to make it as good as possible. It has to be approved. And I'm no Shane Foley. <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I guess, so did you draw the whole story before it went to King Features? Yeah, the whole thing. Wow. So the, I did the maths, um, and I'm going to bring this up <laughs> later, but again, I did the maths. So there's 12 panels a page and 24 pages. That's 288 panels um, that you've drawn and sent on. How, like that's that's some pretty, you know, you just said there, Port Affair, uh, that sort of thing. It's some pretty um, tough Strong, feedback. Uh, how did you how did you go with that? Well, the, the Port Affair was for the last story, you know, and that was the, the Rain War. And, you know, I, I look back at that comic and I, I see the, the, the weaknesses in it, but I also also see the strengths, you know. Yeah. Um, and I know that the, the feedback was mostly positive from what I saw, um, both published and what I received. Um, I it, also, of- it also won the best uh, free story. For yeah. the year. Um, Issue, as, story, yeah, it dominated. I think um, my personal perspective is that in Australia, we're so used to the reprints. You know, we're, I'm a big fan and you guys are big fans of the reprints, but I don't think um, outside of Australia, many many fans and fans are as familiar as we are with the old style. Yeah. So I think part of the problem was... Um, they might have wondered why why is this guy in Australia writing a story which looks like it's 80 years old? What what on earth is he doing that for? Um, because they're probably not getting well, I don't think anyone else really has been doing that. It's a bit of a bit of a gimmick from their point of view. So when um, when the process started for this comic, and I knew that they weren't particularly into that style, I made sure that Fru was sending them in in batches because I didn't want um, I didn't want to get a nasty surprise at the end um, but I still did <laughs> so, what, what was your reaction when Fru came back to you and said uh, the story's been rejected because was it was there a lot of heartache well it was pretty tough it was tough because the first time um, when we sent through the pages for that, the races. Um, I don't think through was sending them through in batches. I think, and I, I wasn't aware that it had to be approved by King Features. Mm. Um, I thought that in my naivety, I thought that Glenn and Dudley would just approve it and it would be fine. So they liked the story and they, they'd seen my work before. And I sent through some pages of that and they, you know, they said, yeah, it's great, it's great, it's great. And then when the whole thing was finished, then it got sent off to the States. And it came back with all this feedback saying that the, the, the size of the panels is inconsistent, all of the speech bubbles need to be redrawn, the text throughout the whole thing has to be replaced, and the art ranges from poor to fair. So that was such a big list of things to change. I, even I, I, I probably sat on that for a few days wondering if it was worth having another crack at it. 
Yeah. Um, but I did, obviously, and I had a lot of help from my very good friend, Graham Jackson, who helped to resize a few panels here and there, some of that difficult stuff. And he re-lettered the whole thing and he redrew all of the speech bubbles. But when the feedback came back from um, the Heartbreakers gang, it basically, they just said that it was rejected. They didn't give a list of things they want to change. They just said it's rejected. Really? So it was, it was much, much worse. Yes. Because, you know, Dudley kind of said to me, look, you know, I'm not sure what to do here. I think the story's great, but it's been knocked back. And I think about a week went by and um, he actually contacted me again and said, listen, you know, the story's so good. I wonder if I can suggest something. I don't want to, you know, hurt your feelings, but would you be okay if one of our other artists had a bit of a crack at it? And so I'd already had a week of sort of, I wouldn't say despair, but I was very, obviously very disappointed. Mm. Oh, I should just say as well, one thing I really, really appreciate with Dudley is that he really went into bat for me. Mm. When it got rejected, he wrote back to them and said, listen, this, this guy, Matt, his, his art, his, sorry, his story was one of the most popular stories in 2019. And he actually sent them a whole stack of um, uh, fan mail that had oh, really? been So he really tried to make a case that you, you may not like his art, you may not understand what he's trying to do, but our readership does understand and they like it. Like it's, it was a, this, his issue was a high-selling issue. But it just came back again, no, it's not on brand. It doesn't pass our standards. And, yeah, they didn't, they didn't seem to want me or anyone else, well, not me at least, to have another crack. It was just a, a straight-up no. Yeah. And so still no actual um, specific feedback as to what to do, but just still that blanket. Just no. Yeah, wow, that's, that's wow. Uh, tough to deal with, yeah. Yeah. So some context is um, what what um, uh, we've been able to find out is that um, uh, from what we believe is that when you when the there's actually been a change of editorial staff in King Features. So bef so before they had their own they had their, they had like a separate department which would have done the day at races, and then in between that. From what we've understand is that there's actually been a switch back to the same editorial team that handled the newspaper stories. And so through and all of the other publishers have had to, you know, been dealing with one mob and now they're dealing with another mob still within King Features, but there's different people involved and a different set of standards because what you can have in the newspaper and what you can have in the comic can sometimes be two different things. So um, but yeah, it's very interesting that you got uh, a, a flat no. So, um, so so this conversation with Dudley saying, "Look, can we maybe let someone else have a crack?" Could you pick up there? Like, how did that go? Where? Yeah. You know... Well, one of the, the difficult things as being a comic creator is not having access to talk to the editors at all. Like, um, like Dudley is sort of your your middleman. And, and, like, I love that guy. He's fantastic. Like I said, he really was, was so helpful. But 
Like there's no there's no way that you that you as the creator can get in contact with the editors and ask specifically what what they want. Yeah. So you know it seemed like that ship had sailed, and I think a good week went by where I just sort of given up on it, and I thought you know I've spent all these weeks and weeks working on this story, which is just you know just a complete waste of time, and it's embarrassing as well. You know I'll just come out and say it; it's embarrassing when you you've got something that you've put a lot of time and effort into and it just gets a flat no. Mm. So I think Dudley saw the potential in the story and he contacted me and said, you know, oh, he was very mindful. I, I can tell he's a very nice guy because he, he didn't want to upset me and he floated the idea that he contacts one of the other through artists and I think he, he suggested Shane because, you know, Shane's your go-to um, uh, Wilson McCoy artist and, you know, someone that's very, very consistent. And I, I didn't have a hesitation. You know, I, there was no point being upset about it. Obviously, it, it is upsetting, you know, but having the story drawn by someone else or not having it drawn at all, you know, it's too wide a bridge. And also, I really have always liked Shane's work as well from his covers through to his, his stuff in the giant phantom. So it seemed like a match made in heaven. Mm. And, you know, I just have to sort of swallow my pride and think, okay, Dudley wants to invest in the story. He's going to ask Shane. He's asked for my approval. Nothing has gone on behind my back. I'm, I'm 100% into this. I'm, I'm cool. Um, I, I was frankly really happy to see that Dudley was still trying to get the story um, happening. Mm. Wow. Well, yeah. well um, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, like myself and Dan, we all know the story, uh, but even like listening to it and like, you know, we've only talked by email and stuff like that and now actually listening to you talk about it. Um, wow. You know, it's, <laughs> that's, yeah, you know, you, 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 you have to be a humble man to be able to, um, uh, to be able to go from there, Shane. So uh, from one fan, uh, thank you for being humble. And I mean, uh, Matt and, um, you know, thank you for being humble and, and I guess saying yes and going to the next step because mm. I'm glad we didn't miss out on this story. Yeah. No, and, and certainly appreciate the, uh, the way you told it too, Matt. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, really powerful. Um, so I guess that does lead us straight to the introduction of Shane though, doesn't it? So Shane, you've been sitting there listening patiently for a long time. Um, in your Sir Falcon shirt, I think you need to get that up and show that to the YouTube listeners. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. <laughs> uh, you will you will have to talk, Shane, while you're showing it off. So stand up and talk. So oh, isn't that enough? All right. Do I talk about Sir Falcon? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that, that was really interesting hearing uh, Matt say that because I didn't know all that. All I knew was that he'd been given a really hard time, and the. Um, and the art was rejected. The first I knew about it, I actually got a timeline here because I was—I couldn't remember. <laughs> Back in March last year, it was. I got a phone call, or I was talking to Glenn about something else, or I got a phone call from Glenn. I can't remember which. And he asked me about doing it. And I presume I got asked because I'd done that Jungle Love story with Pity Anderson, you know, for the history yes. book, and that was all McCoy swipes in that one, and. Um, uh, and he asked me about it, and I said, okay, okay, I'll give it a go. 
and uh, I got a PDF of all the artwork, and I can vouch for Matt. Yes, he drew the whole thing, <laughs> and it was it was really interesting because I could tell where a lot of the panels came from because I know the McCoy stuff probably the best of all because that's what I really liked as a kid, and I've remembered them. And McCoy's got a style where he he often reuses the same type poses, you know. So, um, and it's it's nice. But uh, so I I was asked to redo it, and I said, "Yeah, I'd have a look at it." <clears throat> and I don't know if Matt knows this, I don't think he does, but uh, after a while I said no. <laughs> Did you know that, Matt? Oh. I said no because <clears throat> it was so much work because... Um, You're telling me. <laughs> <laughs> because because you work, it, it, uh, as you wanted to do like daily strips and they're all daily strips, it's a four-tier page. And I thought, this is so small working in four tiers all the time, what, 12 panels a page. Steve says, said, oh, I can't. And it was um, in April, I was talking to Glenn again. I said, look, I really like the story, but it's so, it's so much work. And to show how much the guys must have wanted the story, uh, Matt, I got, I was offered more money than I normally get. <laughs> so <laughs> what, was, what was sold to me as re-inking a story, now we know I, I didn't quite do that, I I really sort of drew, but it was sold to me as re-inking. I was paid for more than when I write and draw a Sir Falcon story. <laughs> <laughs> so they must have liked the story, mate. Yeah. And um, and by then, when he offered me that, I thought, I know how I can do it. Um, I actually did each, each, you know how each page is two tiers? I've got examples here to show you. I actually blew it up to double the size I normally do. The top two tiers of every page are done as big as a normal page. Oh, wow. That's how I had to do it. And to get the McCoy look, I had to use a lot of brush. And you can't do that small. You know? yeah. so that, that's I, about the size that he used to do it, isn't he? Isn't well, it? I think it's getting closer to what they did because the original dailies are massive things, yeah. are they? And um, so I went bigger than I normally do, and I found I could do it that way. And um, so I agreed. And um, what I did was they had told me that King had, re had rejected the artwork. And um, so I just did up two pages and they submitted those to see if they were happy. And on June the 1st last year, they said, yes, go ahead. So I drew the thing between June and August last year without the lettering. I, um, you know, um, what I did was I printed off all, all Matt's pages blew them right up and then sort of light box them. Most of the word balloons are the same shape you did. <laughs> I went over them and uh, did the same shape and basically kept the same layout in lots of lots of places and then had to reduce it down. So, yeah, so it took me about three months last year wow. to do it. And you got your letterer to do it, didn't you? Yeah. I left them all blank. I left all the word balloons blank and... Yeah. I should also say, Shane, that um, I got a nice message from you as well because we, we didn't know each other. Um, I, I, I knew who you were mm. and um, it was suggested to me by Dudley that they would ask you. Mm. And then shortly afterwards, I got a, a nice email from you just asking if, if, if basically if you had my consent. Yeah, I, I didn't know whether you knew. I presumed you knew, but I wasn't going to take it for granted. So, um, yeah, I got on with you and said, are you happy with this? You know, because 
<laughs> I thought it'd be horrible if you really didn't like the idea. And that's when I think I kept you up to date with a few pages, showing you what yeah. I was doing, saying, look, I'm not just reading this. I'm being pretty heavy handed with this because some, sometimes I felt a panel should be different or my sensibility was different to yours. And um, yeah, you never said, no, please don't. You never did that. <laughs> I was just hoping you wouldn't show me up too much, but you did. <laughs> <laughs> not the plan. <laughs> um, Shane, you said you've got some examples. Oh, I got a few. You yeah. Show us? yeah, could you just like show us a couple? Now, you oh. will, obviously, if. Um, you're the if you only listen to us via the audio, you're not going to be able to see this. Um, so make sure if you want to see what Shane's going to show us, uh, make sure you timestamp it and look on our YouTube channel. Um, and Shane, as you're showing us, you will have to um, talk so it stays on the yeah. Okay. Oh, that's why you said the yeah. Okay. All right. What I'm showing now is um, these are like I I blew up Matt's Matt's page. Five is there. That's how it came out as an A3, right? When I put them all on the USB, the PDF I was given, that's A3. Then I cut them in half, as you can see, and each half was then blown up to A3. Right. And um, that's Matt's. There is Matt's top, no, the bottom part of page five, and that's the size I did it. All right, now that's normally the size if you're going to draw on paper, which much mm -hmm. a whole page would be, but there's my version of the bottom. of And as you can see, it's only on paper. I was running out of good drawing paper, and at the start of that, oh, I just did it on paper. So the whole thing, sorry, is, is on normal photocopy paper, not art paper, which is a dumb thing to do, but it's all ended up there. And then what I would do with these, with and this is the big pages, right? You can see... That's all. That's page five, <laughs> right? Wow. It's that big. And then I um, went back to the photocopier, put each one down, reduced each one, then put the two copies together. So I ended up with a page that looks like this. And as you can see, they're all, there's the top half of five, the bottom half of five, and they don't align because they're just stuck on a photocopier. And then I had to move them all on um, in Photoshop and then put the grey tones on. So it goes from this one here, which is only black and white and all sorts of notes and things all around it, to that page, and that's what Matt's letterer got to fill in. And all those word balloons are basically what Matt's artwork had. So it's a lot of photocopying up and down. <laughs> so does all that make sense? Does all that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, that's... that's fascinating for me. Actually, I, you know, I, I didn't know what your process was. I, I heard that you were going to be reworking my work. I didn't know if you'd be doing it digitally or over a light box. So I love the idea that you blew mine right up. Yeah, worked on it because I did know. that. I, I virtually kept all your panels. Very few panel sizes were changed, and um, all the word balloons, there's about two or three where I moved the word balloon over because I decided the character's head should be in a different place or something, but mostly they're exactly the same. And um, so your director's sensibility is there in all of it. Well, because the script is so final, you know, like I was really limited to what I could do, but sometimes I would alter a view or something, um, you know, but, but yeah, I basically, um, or yours was always the starting point and, um, Sometimes I redrew it, but often it's just a version of what you did anyway. 
And often I would look at it and say, oh, what's a Wilson McCoy like this? And a number of times I hunted for Wilson McCoy and found exactly the panel that you'd use. I thought, oh, here we go. <laughs> that happened more than once. <laughs> yeah, I kind of, when I was working on it, you know, I thought, surely this is fine. You know, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's an official Phantom comic. And, yeah. you know, Wilson McCoy, as you said, he, he would often have his go-to panels, some of his punches, some of his profiles, some of his Dianas were just reused time and time. Some of um, the Phantoms jumps out of windows and things like that. They're all the same. Yeah. So when he's had a big fight and he's, and he's puffed, he always has one arm hanging down, the other one up like this. It's always the same pose. Yeah. The devil gets captured. It's always the same one where he's turned his head back and he's in the net. It's always the same one. And one of the things I noticed doing this is he always has the same three-quarter view of Diana. She never turns her head a bit this way or that way. It's always yeah. the same one. <laughs> so he must, he could have done any sleep, I think. <laughs> you know, one, one thing I heard once from um, Glenn Lumsden is that uh, when you look at Rain Moore and Wilson McCoy artwork, it's very much like uh, the movies of those days. Like um, it's either a wide shot or a mid shot or a close up. Yeah. The, the angles are always just straight on. Yeah. There, there's no no other angle. There's no other... No bird's eye view or anything. Yeah. yeah. And I guess that's because the comic artists of the day were inspired by what they saw on the screen. And so, like, now if you look at, uh, you know, a modern comic, the angles are all over the place. But, mm. you know, the, the art that we have, have worked on for this, it, it, um, it follows those, uh, oh, that, that perspective. Yeah, and perhaps so, yeah. perhaps that change though is one of the reasons why some people look at a comic and say, "I don't know how to read it," and I say, "We'll just go left to right, like any other thing." But but I noticed even in a comic strip I had years ago, someone said, "I don't know how to read it." I'm thinking, "Well, it's not hard." Yeah. <laughs> but in newspaper strips, it's more straightforward, just like a book. But maybe it really lost something by getting so arty with the pages when it should be simple storytelling. Mm. Yeah. Wow. So have we answered your question, guys? Yeah, yeah. No, that was that was amazing. Just so well, I love being a fly on the wall for this conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's um uh it's really good. So Matt, did you get to see the full story before it went to the letter, or is that like when you got to see the full story or when did you Yeah, yeah, I did. Oh, it was nice because Shane would send through a few pages um every now and then. And and then when the whole when he was uh putting the the grey tones on the whole thing, and he, when he finished that, he sent me the whole, the whole thing, so I could enjoy going through it, seeing it for the first time. You know, a story which I had drawn that I knew, like I knew the layout. Seeing when he would had stuck strictly to the panels, when he deviated, when he had put a lot of extra detail. Which you know, I'm a lazy artist. You can tell that by looking at my work. I, I'm, I guess, I'm sort of minimal. So I'd see my own pictures uh, embellished with lots of background detail and bricks and all sorts of little things which I, I wouldn't do. And also to, to find panels where he changed things considerably. Um, going back to that point before about us uh, swiping from, from panels from the past, um, I've, I've noticed that. There have been times when I've seen... Um, uh, some of Shane's work, I've, I've noticed like the, there's a there's a dance scene that we've both swapped before. There's 
I think it's I, I can't remember which which one it is now, but there's a scene where um, it's a it's a McCoy panel and there's a, a dance scene, and I, I swiped that in this comic, and I, I noticed that you'd swiped it in a in a third Falcon once with Jimmy Wells. Well, that's probably the very very first one I ever did in Giant Size One. That's yeah. Jimmy Wells was in that, and they were dancing. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I think I think that's that's it might be from um, the Golden Circle. Yeah, probably. Yeah, well, one of them. Well, that was really interesting. This time, I don't know if we're jumping ahead, but yeah, you know, I'm always looking through McCoy panels to find what you were looking at or something that would be appropriate. And when it got to all the women at the end, I'm thinking, well, we've only got the Lady Luck and and uh, a few women so oh, i don't know where i'm going to go so i went to the golden circle and found oh you'd spot that in the middle of a mccoy story you'd take a small panel and i found the exact one <laughs> i was very proud of it it was it was fun actually it was a lot of fun yeah, it's like a, it's like a like being an art detective isn't it like when, yeah. you, when you recognize a swipe you think oh my god it. it's like a mystery yeah well, I, guess, I, guess it's a, I guess it's a valid point. Oh, uh, we need to make the point that the, it, it, it's a tri- it's in a sense like a tribute issue, isn't it? It's not, mm. you know, like use a use a this this issue the day at the races and and the stuff that you've done also, Shane. It's it's a tribute to it. It's not because he's a lazy artist and you know can't do your own stuff. It's the fact that you know that you love this stuff so much that you want to pay tribute to. Yeah, well, I hope people see it that way. It's like in yeah. one of the Scorpius things. I use one of the, you know, that big picture of a beauty by Cy Barry out of the Island of Dogs where he's smacking into a door and made a whole panel of it. And, you know, credited on the bottom. You don't want to try yeah, and take yeah. it as your own work. But, you know, when I did Jungle Love with with pity for the 70th anniversary, you know, that, that accidentally lost its first page in the book. Remember, we've talked about that before. Yeah. But one of the things I was proud of with that I've got it here. I just happened to pull it out to show the difference between the, like, there's, oh, for those who can't see, I'm showing the half-page big one from from um, uh, Diner and the Heartbreakers Gang, but it's the same size as the whole first page of Jungle Love, and that's a page that was never finished because it was uh, lost. But see, in the corner, yeah. I tried to mimic that that panel and it's it's got in the traditional Lee Fork and Wilson McCoy because we love them. You know, I think they're great. You know, and um, I'm not trying to just rip them off. You're trying to trying to um, um, well revere them because the yeah. of what they've done. You know, and um, well, it's so- something for the fans too. It's like it's just another level. You know, a lot mm-hmm. of a lot of people might read it and not make that connection. Yeah, people who who appreciate the story and the art, they'll see it. And they'll they'll know it, it's not it's not a swipe like swipe's the wrong word for it it's it's a tribute. Well, yeah. I think between what Germ said there for before about it being an Easter egg, that's a, a, absolutely true, and that's a term that's come to us from movies. And you guys have both talked about being and Shane especially about being directors. It's the same as you know a, a, a film director in twenty twenty one using the same sorts of scenes and directions and. Um, viewpoints that they did in the movies of the 1930s or whatever and coming up with a similar sort of um, you're in the same genre so yeah. it's um, 
you know, some people might go, oh, that's a swipe. But really what you're doing is recreating a scene from a, from a previous story and, and using it in a new one. So Look at any of Tarantino's films, particularly Pulp Fiction, you know, the scene where Marcellus Wallace gets run over uh, as he's crossing the road. That's directly from um, uh, Psycho, from... Um, Hitchcock. Oh, what was that guy's name? Hitchcock. 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 Yeah, it's it. Yeah, I, I think it's fantastic that you've been able to um, remember all of these panels and all of these scenes from various different stories, and then go, well, what if they were rewoven this direction um, and told the story in this way? But you're still using those same familiar ideas, and it is—it's a real buzz for the fans. I know both Jermaine and I will have written down half a dozen or a dozen pages where we've gone, oh, I recognise that panel, um, and and for us, it's going to be. And and um, and lots of people might be the really obvious panels, like the as you were gentlemen climbing in through the window, um, the really super familiar ones. But yeah, there's going to be. I reckon there's. It sounds like there's two or three times as many as what even Jermaine and I might have penciled in because you guys have just gone so deep on this and uh, to reweave them in the in the way of telling that story. I think it's just fantastic. I really enjoy it. Yeah. I think what Shane's probably done and what I've done is to dig out all of my reprints. Hello. What I did was I dug out all my Wilson McCoy comics and just I, I, I would go through them and I'd put little post it notes in there as well, you know, and I'd put, you know, kiss or hug or car or um, punch or jumping through window. And just doing that, having all these books open in front of me, I would see the same panels over and over and over, you know, from the, the 40s, from the early 40s through to the 50s, and, and they, they stay the same. Even the work that McCoy did when, he was, when there was that transition from Moore to McCoy and he was trying to mimic um, Moore's style, some of those panels still show up in his later work but in his more distinctive, recognisable style. But it's the same, same picture. Yeah, it'd be. I know to, to, to change your style to somebody else's is incredibly hard. And actually another reason I nearly turned down doing redoing your story, Matt, was by the time I'd finished Jungle Love, I was really tired mm. of trying to draw like McCoy. My natural bent because of the way I've learned to draw is to sort of do more Jack Kirby John Buscema type stuff from the Marvel thing. And uh, when you're actually drawing, you realise just how different the Phantom is in lots of ways. It's just different. Um, Kirby is just in your face sort of stuff all the time and over the top. The Phantom, if you do that too much, it doesn't work for him because he's not that type of yeah. adventurer. And I, um, I was going to say, really, where, where is the figures in this Heartbreaker gang attempt to look like McCoy, a lot of the shadowing is not his. That's Kirby and Mike Mignoli. You look through Hellboy's story and you get more of the shadows. <laughs> I don't think it's so much McCoy stuff there. Um, I, I really like Matt's story for that because there's a lot of dark alleys and dark rooms and and um, and I put a lot of shadow in. And to be honest, I think I did a better job of this one than I did on The Jungle Love because one of my tendencies is to leave backgrounds or panels empty, and I think I do it too much. I look back and I go, oh, come on, put something there, you know. And I think Jungle Love was a little bit like that. And I don't know why I did that, because at the end of that one in Pity's Story is in this grotty little apartment somewhere, and I should have had 
shadows all over the place and didn't. Whereas this one, I look at it and there's shadows falling over bricks and things everywhere. So I'm quite happy with the result of this one, you know. So, um, uh, but yeah, it's a little bit more Jack Kirby that you probably won't notice. Hopefully it doesn't because the figures look like McCoy. <laughs> I ask you something, Shane. You know, you've, you've been able to mimic McCoy so successfully and also more. Would you ever have a crack at Cy Barry? That guy knows how to draw. That he's he's a insane artist. I, I would never even try to attempt. No, I don't think I would. Actually, I don't think. I think even with Ray Moore, you know, when I did my very first Sir Falcon story that turned up in Giant Size One, I tried to do that flashback. I don't know if you remember the story, but Jimmy Wells had written to Diana saying, "Who is this guy who yeah. uh, Sir uh -huh. Falcon?" And the whole story was actually my way of of poking fun at the fact that Sir Falcon's origins are the same as the Phantoms. And uh, that's all it was. And I tried to do that flashback in a Ray Moore sort of style where there's minimal background and lots of grey flashes. But I found out that really I can only mimic more in a little bit of not having much detail, having a little bit of brush strokes and the grey. I, I don't really draw like more at all. Moore's quite distinctive, and I'd find that too hard. McCoy, for some reason, maybe it's because there's so many of his panels, these figures duplicate each other. I can find one to, to copy. I don't know. And his brush stroke is so nice and simple and clean. Um, Moore's not like that. And uh, Cy Barry's very clean, but oh, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think I could even try to look like him. Like you can try and have a nice clean ink style like him, but um, I don't I think... Someone asked him, though, didn't they? they um, were, the Chronicle Jam Chamber guys will know. Did Moore ink his own work or did someone else ink it for him? Uh, no, Ray Moore did, did it. Oh, I'm sorry. I meant Cy Barry. Oh, Cy Barry. Barry. Oh. Uh, he was the inker. Serious. Yeah. Uh, so he was the main inker and then a lot of the assistants were... We'll lay out some pencils and stuff. You can like tell that. when there's there's one story in particular. I think, oh, that's got to be Rich Buckler. He's even swiped a Neil Adams Batman for the Phantom in one. You know, you can tell Rich Buckler at one stage, and we've been through looking for some Don Heck ones and that. So yeah, yeah. I think he often did his own in the early days, didn't he? But then yeah. as time went on, he got other. It's certainly, towards the end, as from what I can understand, that it, he was um, doing the inking, but over others' pencils. In a, no, yeah. no, sorry, the other way around. What, what am I saying? Um, uh, I think he did. Uh, I think he mainly did right, the inking. He he mainly inked, but whether he, uh, I think what in happened the last days. I'm saying about George Olson and Keith Williams, like he was especially George. Yeah, but George was always did pencils. Yeah, so George did layouts pencils. So yeah. what it was is more towards the end. He he, I don't know a nice way of putting it, but he didn't put his style in the inking. He he kind of just went over the pencils rather than adding to the pencils with his inks. You can't really talk about a Cybarry style, can you? Because, like, he did it for so long. Yeah. Middle Cybarry is very different to end Cybarry, and they're right. all very early Cybarry. It's even yeah. like Ray Moore. I mean, Ray's earlier one, Matt was talking about Little Tomer before, and I think Little Tomer, I was just reading the Diamond Hunters today, and that and that's just brilliant when he was doing all his grey shading. But when he went bigger for Sunday in colour, it looks so different to those very early ones where there's all the grey shading. I love the grey shading ones. They, 
Yeah. <laughs> Beautifully done. Yeah. I think. So, yeah. yeah. Now, I've got one more question before I move on to kind of having a look at some of the story and picking out little key panels and stuff like that. Matt, after all this, do you have any more stories in you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Also, one thing I, I want to make clear is that it hasn't taken this long to have the second comic out because it takes me a long time to do comics or that I'm out of ideas. Uh, I've got plenty of ideas. Just the, the process is so long. And, you know, like just before Shane was talking about, he got that email back in March of last year. Mm. You know, so we, we it may look like, um, I, I don't know how it seems on the outside. It may seem like... Um, we only produce very, very slowly, but yeah, this comic was done a long time ago. Yeah, I think Shane, you said that it was August when you finished it. Yeah, they've had it since August. Yeah, so it would have been lettered by in September. Yeah, yeah. September. Uh, you did the cover, Matt. Yeah, I did the cover. And when did you do the cover? Well, you might recognise that image. I, I drew that a, a long time ago and, and put it up on the page, on the Chronicle page. Um, it was just, just something I did just for fun one day. And then, um, you know, when um, I was asked, I was asked by Fru if I'd send that in. Yeah. Uh, so the next thing I know, it was the cover. And you also, and, uh, you also did it as a sketch cover as well. Yeah. And... <laughs> And through, like, they really made my day when they put the yellow strip on that on yeah. the day of the races. I didn't know that was going to happen. You know, I didn't know they were going to publish it with a, a paper cover. And then for them to do it again with this one, I'm really, really, really touched that they did that for me. Mm. So, okay, playing devil's advocate uh, and putting you on the spot, mm -hmm. if you were to create a new story, would you go down creating the art again or what would your process be? Oh, I'm I'm on the fence on that one. Um, I obviously think about that a lot. I've I've submitted them a few stories, and I'm waiting to hear back. And you know, I, I'm considering. Uh, I'm 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 proud of that. The races. I'm proud that I did the whole thing. You know, and I, I would like to have another crack at illustrating. Um, and I think, you know, looking at the way that Shane worked with the much larger panels, I think that might be the way for me to go forward as well. Um, but at the same time, I, I did like this process. I like to see Shane's panels, you know, and I've, I've already spoken to him sort of privately and said, you know, we could do it again. I'd be, I'd be more than happy to work with Shane again. Um, I might not put him through the ordeal of doing so many panels, you know, because <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like that wasn't... The, the, the greatest time of his life. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, I'm, uh, uh, I don't know how to answer, Jim. I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> if, oh, that's all right. It's, you're, not, you're not supposed to get all easy questions. Hey, uh, just, just to butt in there, um, I, once I worked out to do it double size, I got no problem at all. So if you want to do your four-tier page again, run it like it's a collected daily strip, that's hmm. no problem. <laughs> All right, you, you heard it here first, everyone. <laughs> Sweet. So another six months. We expect another story, another podcast uh, as well. Oh, 
look, when, when the first one came out and it was successful, I thought, oh, this is great. You know, I could maybe do, do two a year. <laughs> <laughs> and now here we are, it's two years later and the, and the new one's just come out. <laughs> so, yeah, you've just got to, like, everything's just such a snail's crawl. And, of course, through, you know, they've got, you know, 80 years' worth of stories they can draw on and they've got all the stuff coming from Europe as well. So, you know, that you, you just have to fit into their schedule. Yeah. Hard to become a, uh, a full-time comic book artist in, uh, with through fruit. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, or author, for that matter. <laughs> awesome. Well, I reckon... Let's kind of go through the story and um, uh, now, Dan, if, as I'm going through the story, I'm not going to be able to look at those page numbers and stuff. So are you okay to kind of... Um, right, because oh, you, you're about to share the screen, Jim. I'm about to share the screen for the YouTube viewers. Um, and then, Dan, you're going to be telling me what pages to go on and right. what points you're going to be making. Uh, and make sure you do page numbers and stuff. So if you for the audio listeners, they can actually um, uh, follow one on themselves if they want. Very good. And Shane and Matt, I assume you've got a, a hard copy there as well. So when we flick to pages, um, or you can yep. direct traffic as well if, we, if you've got page numbers that you'd like us to have a look at. So... Um, I, um, where are we at? You've got, we're looking at some, some of the characters and you've talked about, um, we've talked extensively about um, how so many of these panels pay tribute to the Phantom Diana um, and the bad guys is what Germ's picked up on here. Page six, Germ, if you want to go to that I've page. Just, I've just noticed this, this panel here, which is the one, two, three, four, the sixth panel. I think I've seen that panel again. Um, which is, I think that's um, there's yeah, there that, it was. Oh, where was it? Yeah, you went back. Go back. Am I going up or down? Oh, I don't know. Now you've gone too fast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's down here. I think there's. I think that um panel's been used, been used twice. Um, Dan, oh. on your thing, there's the flirtatious princess. What page number is that? Flotatious Princess is on page 10. Okay. So I think you've used that, that panel twice. Yeah, page 10 where, yeah. Yeah, there. So yeah. There's, there's that panel, which yep. is taken out of the Flirtatious Princess, which is, I'll just quickly bring that up. Uh, this one, I think it is. No, not that one. Um, I do have it here. Here it is. Because this is one that I picked up, which is that panel there. Um, and then I've seen that one. Oh, this is also being reused here as well. So, yeah, I've just picked that, uh, that other panel up. That's, that's cool. That's funny. <laughs> you know, that, one you, that panel you're talking about um, in the other version of it there's the baddie with the little beard he comes out of the flirtatious princess too i don't know if matt took him from there but i did oh, that's cool so so it's not just um just, not just scenes but you're also finding characters or background characters that uh, are crossing into different stories and um, backgrounds yeah absolutely. absolutely right some of some of um the characters appearance changed a bit with with shane's versions of them 
But in, in the pictures that I drew, I always based my characters on the really distinctive characteristics that um, McCoy drew. Sometimes, you know, cauliflower ears or pointy little beards. There it is. There, that's it, yeah. That's, that's, the, that's the picture you're looking for. Yeah. And, uh, so, yeah, there's swipes and there's swipes and swipes. The guy with the pointy beard ooh, is this fella. Oh, wow. And this is all the Sunday, that's the Sunday version of Flirtatious Princess, yeah. Mm. So that's how, here's how Matt drew him. All right, and I thought, oh, yeah, and so that was my version. And I'm sure they came from the same place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You notice that McCoy does those those black eyes, those squinty little eyes. Like yeah, the, yeah, like the little triangle. Bits. Yeah. yeah, little triangle, yeah. Yeah. I love them. Love them. I must admit I've always loved um, McCoy's baddies much more than – I know Cyberry is meant to be technically better artists, but I love McCoy's yeah. caricatured bad guys. I think they're brilliant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because they're, they're, just, they're just so bad. Yeah, they are. They are. And so, you know, look at their puffy ears and they're, <laughs> they're brilliant. Yeah, McCoy's work is so much more, like, cartoony, you know. Yeah. It's, it's all so flat. And mm. it's and it's beautiful lines. Mm. And one one thing this um, taught me is that he he was a much better artist than I initially thought he was. You know, I always rated more like way way better. And I saw Barry and a lot of the European artists I like. But McCoy's really come up in my opinion. Yeah, and I, I I'm stunned with the way he draws women. I think he's he just got the most beautiful Diana, and the way he can draw women. You know, it's only a couple of poses, always the same three-quarter view or side on but gosh they're good he knew how to he knew how to do it and i've picked the the actress um oh, i think i know the actress he's got her off um i'll think of the name soon one of the really famous ones yeah, yeah she even had the puffy hair puffy little hair. puffy little fringe yeah 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 yeah, yeah. sort of what i got happening at the moment yeah diana <laughs> <laughs> no danger here <laughs> Oh, well, one thing I should say as well that when when I when I finished mine and I looked over my pages, I thought I've made a bit of a mistake. I've made Phyllis look too much like Hannah. Hannah's the the, the second in command of the Heartbreakers, or, with the hair or, pulled tight back in the bun. Yeah, but I liked how you you made a bit of a, a few subtle differences, even though you, it's still the same hairstyle. You, you somehow made those two characters look a bit different. Well, did you notice that? Did you notice that before I mentioned it to you? Oh, I think you did say you'd already noticed it. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I think I picked it. Yeah. Well, all I did go back to my original pages on the computer that, and uh, just lighten it up. So the baddie has black hair. Yeah. Phyllis's hair isn't so black anymore, mm. hoping that's enough to so that people don't confuse the two. Yeah. But I remember saying it too, and you said, yeah, yeah, you did say, I think. Yeah, I, th I remember you noticed that yourself and... You're quite happy with the change I suggested. Uh, yeah, because I, I've become worried that um, some some people might have thought that Phyllis was a villain. Yeah. <laughs> I love the way you put Phyllis in because she's in the well, the very first Phantom story, wasn't she? Yeah, I think... Um, Jimmy Wells. They're both yes. in the first Phantom story. She's appeared in more of my stories than Lee Fox. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm waiting for you now to bring back Captain Horton. Didn't he, wasn't he in the first three or something? Then he vanished. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm going to bring bring them all back, Byron and yeah, Melville, <laughs> bring them all back. Yeah. <laughs> I want to, you know who I want to bring back? Fifi. Who? Yeah. Who remembers Fifi? Oh, yeah. The chimp, the chimpanzee. <laughs> <laughs> out of the gold, out of the golden circle. That's it. Great character. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, that Fifi. I was thinking yeah. of the monkey male. You're thinking of Chi Chi, Shane. Am I? Same difference. Yeah. No, I, like, I, oh, I, was, I had a crush on Fifi. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what about um, the mysterious girl? No, yeah. not, as, not as much as Fifi. But those, those characters, I like in the last panel, like they say, oh, will we ever see you again? And I think he says that they will. Um, but you know, Falk didn't didn't bring back characters like that. They, they, had, they had their shot, and then they were done. Yeah. Well, that's why in uh, um, in when I was doing Scorpius for the Giant Size fan, you know, Scorpius has gone on much longer than I intended, and probably longer than Fru wanted. <laughs> but <laughs> but in the background, you know, I've made the baddies to be Prince Ramon and Prince Orc and Peppy. You know, so one's a Ray Moore one, and two are. Um, McCoy and I've, I've drawn the ending of that which hasn't been published yet but I think they're great guys you know all, well there's, no, there's nothing particularly original about them but I love old Raymond with his telescope and all that sort of stuff I think how come well for all I know I don't know if Egmont's ever done another story with them but I've never seen one so um, no. yeah no. I, can, I don't know why I didn't revisit some of these guys I noticed recently everybody seems to like the vultures suddenly are back and people are writing the vultures on the place. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, it's, it's – it's, I think we, we've talked about it before and this podcast is going in a totally different direction than the run sheet, but never mind, is we've talked about it before that I think for Fru and even uh, Egmont did this or Fan, Team Phantom Men did this too, when, when they were starting creating their own stories, they were adding to the Lee Fork stories. And I think mm. that's what Fru's doing really well at the moment, like with your Scorpius, with the, you know, the 70th anniversary stories and now with the stories that uh, Matt Kime has created as well, is that you're adding to the lore, to the legacy. And so it, it, for, the, for the, the fans that are not quite sure about all these new stories, it's more, pa- pa- uh, how do you say the word, pa- palatable for them mm. because it's the phantom that they recognise. Mm. Yeah, yeah no, I think it's, it's, I'm just mining the old stories, you know, just looking through and finding characters that I liked. Like, I'll give you an example with um, the Heartbreakers gang. Um, my character, um, Sydney, he, he's a bit of a, a trope in folk stories, like having a, a young, um, innocent, uh, naive playboy who was looking for his girlfriend. Yeah, so mysterious. we see it in Mysterious Girl, in um, The Beach Coma, um, I think The Adventure in Algiers. They all have a character like that. And so that's, you know, even though he's, he's not an actual recurring character, he's, he's a similar mm. type of character that folks used a few times, and I wanted to do a similar character. Mm. It's, um, it makes me um, think, Matt, we've talked a bit about being inspired or, or I guess, um, uh, getting a new respect for Wilson McCoy's art. Um, have you, is this process and all the stories that you write and the style that you like to write, does that give you a new respect for Lee Fork's 
writing and his creativity because you're using a lot of his characters. He's come up with all of these um, to, to give you to play with. Uh, I'd say I'd say no, but the only reason for that is because I've always loved Lee Falk. Right. But there's no newfound love or respect. He, he's always been my, my pinnacle. So, so no. That's an excellent <laughs> ending. <laughs> awesome. Dan, should we go back to the story and we'll um, share some? <laughs> yeah, mate. Um, so you're going you're gonna to bring it yeah. back there. Very yep. good. All right. I want you to go to page five um, because you've asked a great question there on the run sheet about um, – about the, the children's hospital. Yeah. Um, was the children's hospital a bit of a nod to the uh, Lee Fort Memorial Bengalas Explorers Club where they have all their donations going to um, the children's hospital? Yep, sure it was. Yeah. <laughs> just, a, just a little nod there. So, you know, I bring in, I bring in you know, the, the, the history of the Phantom but also, you know, contemporary things here and now. Yeah, no, that was it was. Um, I really like that. Like, I I must admit, I picked that up the second time I read it. Uh, the first time I read it, I probably didn't pay as much attention. I was just quickly devouring it, and then second time I read it, it's like, hang on, I'm doing a podcast. I better read this in <laughs> a bit more detail. And so I'm pouring over it. I'm seeing all the all the, the panels, and and then I picked that up, and I was just like, yeah, it was, it was a really nice touch. Another, another reason I put that in um, is, you know, in, in the very first Phantom story, you know, Diana's trying to raise that money for her family's hospital. Yeah. Um, that was, isn't that why she was mining the Amburgis in the first yeah. place? Yes. And, and that, that uh, as far as I know, that storyline, that idea was just completely dropped. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's, I don't think there was ever any reference to that hospital ever again. Or her um, dad. Or her dad. We still yeah. have not got a story about what happened to her dad. Well, there yeah. you go, Matt. <laughs> Where's the ambiguous gone? <laughs> what happened to the hospital? What happened to her dad? There's lots of plot elements there. <laughs> what happened to Fats Hogan, the original villain from that story, yeah. the, the gangster? Yeah. yeah. And what happened to the Phantom's gloves that he had on in the first panel? <laughs> Where luckily, did he... luckily, he lost those because <laughs> it, it must be hard to take the gloves off and then punch someone. <laughs> <laughs> I figured, I've always figured that was spent in the, uh, set in the Spanish flu era before they understood that it was more masks you needed than gloves. <laughs> Fair enough. What's the next page? Uh, All right. Well, look, we've, 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 um, the, page 12, Jim, um, you've got a, a Mikey interaction. Oh, yeah. So, that's oh, where are we? Page twelve. So that's this dude here. I really liked. Um, uh, well, first of all, he's ugly. He looks like a typical um, uh, a McCoy bad guy, which a great draw. Great. Very much. But, <laughs> and, and they're so like they got the broken nose, the big, the big cauliflower ears. Uh, they're, they're, they're they're amazing. But I liked um, just really the the interaction about how he's like. You know how he knows he's done the bad thing, but how he's going straight, and it's you know we all like the romantic story, you know those type of romantic stories where the bad guy becomes the good guy, and and so it's just nice to be able to see that. I guess you know that sometimes you know they don't become a criminal, uh, a lifetime criminal that they you know have reformed and stuff like. That. So I thought that was a great little nod. Mm. 
Oh, James, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed that. That's one of my favourite scenes in the whole comic, actually. Oh, wow. Just hold it on there, Jim, if you like, and, and, and agree with what you said about the, um, the scene and the relationship. But it's interesting there seeing on the screen um, the top half of page 12, which is very much, um, you know, you can see all of the Wilson McCoy in that. But then across the right-hand side of the screen as we're looking at it, you've got the top of page 13. And that panel, which is that, that half phantom face, that's very Shane Foley. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, you look at that and you go, yep, Shane's drawn this one. So I, one I really liked it as a different, that, like, that extreme close-up. I think you were saying earlier, Matt, about there's only three type of um, screen uh, yeah. shots. But yeah, that, that extreme close-up, I think that's really cool. That's um, 100% Foley, that panel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're talking about the wrong answer catfish panel. Yeah. Uh, yes. I should try and find. Do you want me to try and find Matt? Oh, please do. Please do. <laughs> okay, I'll disappear for a second. For the, just for uh, the fans. For the fans. Yeah, and for us. So, what's the next one, uh, Dan? Uh, oh, look, we've already talked a lot about uh, Diana having a key role and um, why she's such an integral part of the plot. You've picked up something on page eighteen in particular about that, Jim. Um, page. Oh, it was just yeah, kind of like I. I liked how she was. Yeah, she was the hero. She's she's the one that diffused the situation and 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 stuff like that. I just I just, just thought it was really nice how that kind of happened. Yeah, and and that's where I think it's so um it's so evident. But what you were saying earlier, Matt, about um. Uh, admiring the Diana character in those first few stories. And, you know, quite famously, the the first panel of The Phantom ever is Diana punching someone in the jaw. Yeah, um, it's, yeah what, um, what, a, what an excellent start. What, yes. An introduction to a character. Yeah. So yeah. some of my favourite ever panels with Diana are where she's fighting other women. You know, the stories like yeah. where she fights the, the Marshall sisters. Like she goes all out. <laughs> and when I think she fights the tiger girl as well, like she just yeah. she goes wild, like that's, yeah, the mermaids <laughs> and yeah, yeah, yeah. She had a fight with the lady luck people too. Yeah, <laughs> have you got something to show us, Shane? Yeah. All right, I'll just stop this. The catfish is there. It is there. Nothing like mine, is it? <laughs> I, I, went wow. for, I changed you there, Matt. <laughs> That's For those a good who can't see, it's just got two people. It's got the two guys looking at each other. It's not a... You swung the camera at full 90 degrees. It's got yeah. some of those McCoy um, mysterious shapes as well, whatever they are. He does yeah, the pop, 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 pop. Yeah. What's popping? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. That's, Sorry, um, that's, a, that's amazing seeing um, just... Because we've talked about... Um, uh, what would we say? We talked about... And examples of where you changed a few panels, and that's mm. a great example of where you really did change it. Yeah, it, it, it makes me think, Matt. Um, and it's in terms of the publication, the Dudley's message from the publisher. Um, what did you What did you think of that? Because it, it, Dudley showed examples of um, your panels and Shane's panels, and um, did you? You know, you, you've talked extensively about how, how fantastic Dudley was to work with. Yeah. Um, what was your thoughts about that that process stuff being put in the um, in the well, editorial? Actually, I, I really love that um, because some of my 
my, my favourite things about the Phantom Comics were the Jim Shepard introductions and you'd often have panels and he'd show differences of panels and, you know, when when a panel was edited in the past when something yes. was thought to be too violent or too suggestive. And so I actually thought it was kind of funny that um, with, with my first story, there was no editorial. Like there was nothing in for anyone to, to even know that it was um, like a new story. And so... That's because it was so long, wasn't it? They didn't have room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. I think because they wanted to make it 32 pages so they could have the 32 pages yeah. bigger. <laughs> <laughs> so so um, this time seeing like a, an editorial and then having some pictures in there as well, um, I, it kind of took me back to, to 1989, you know. I thought, this is great. Um, also, my wife had seen it before I did. Um, you know, I was at work the day it came out, and so my wife was able to pick one up and have a look at it. And she messaged me and said, you know, Dudley's written a really nice thing about, about you. And he's, he's um, so I think I, I went home already sort of with, with a positive mindset about that. <clears throat> and I expected it to be good. And I read it and I, I took it, I think, the way Dudley intended. Like, I thought it was great. Um, so I didn't feel like I was being like shown up um it's just it is what it is you know yeah that's awesome that's really good all righty oh let's go share the screen again sorry i'm just falling a little bit behind all right dan you got our next page that you want us to look at uh page 16 uh we've listed here and uh i think we've talked about um uh, McCoy's females that he draws, um, but but both of you guys, I think, um, must enjoy the. Oh, just, just pause there on page sixteen. That 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 panel down the bottom with um, with Vicky and the Phantom. I always I always love looking at that one because that's probably the one which I think looks the closest to the way I had it drawn. Um, the gun is very different from how I drew it, but that that profile of Vicky. And, and Diana, I think that that's where Shane has really taken what I had and been like really like ultra faithful to it in that particular panel. So so thanks, Shane. That's that that to me looks exactly well. It, it, it's it's very reminiscent of how I had it. Okay, good, awesome. Yeah, I didn't Excellent. change this for oh. fun. <laughs> he had a good <laughs> panel. It went in, and I get the credit. <laughs> 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 so I, I cut someone off, didn't I? I just got excited. No, 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 no. This is and I, this is the good thing about having this up there is because it will remind you of things and and stuff like that and make the podcast even longer. <laughs> <laughs> See those those pipes at the top? They're, they're they're not Wilson McCoy pipes. They're Jack Kirby pipes on the yeah. wall. <laughs> yeah, right. Yep. Yeah, yeah, those things. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the question, I guess, was about um, uh, the female gangs and um, and draw, drawing, uh, for, well, writing so many female characters and drawing so many female characters. Um, it really was something that uh, Lee Fork used quite a lot in the early days, but never went back to. It's something that's clearly uh, made an impression on both of you guys. Well, you know, the funny thing is that um, having the female gang seemed to be one of the things that King Features um, was objecting to. Oh, wow. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, you know, as I was saying before, like I, I invented this character, Sydney, and Sydney was um, 
And uh, in the first draft, uh, a very innocent but naive playboy. And he was targeted by this gang. And I got some feedback from King saying, can you make him the villain? <laughs> and I think that's sort of where I have to learn a lesson. The lesson is the editor is always right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because I, 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 didn't, I didn't see it that way. You know, the, the story that, that I had in my head, you know, I, I, you know, you, pr you probably understand, Shane, you, you, you really connect with your story, you know, and you, you have your, your vision and you want it to be seen the way that you've envisioned it. And I always wanted to have an all-female gang and I wanted them to be formidable and I wanted them to, you know, have a character like Vicky who was conflicted and I wanted to have a character who was like Sydney, who was this young, naive guy who was being swindled. And, you know, the, the feedback came back that, King Features wanted that change. They wanted him to be a criminal. And I kind of thought, well, why would the Phantom help him? You know, what, what, why would, how's this going to work? And so I guess I, I, I took it as a suggestion, but I didn't realise that when, when they tell you they want something changed, you change it. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that must have been very difficult because that changes all the motivations of what's going on. Well, if, if you look through it now, you'll see there's quite a few times where I've explicitly said that his, his money is dirty. Yeah. yeah. And, and those are the changes because originally his money wasn't dirty. He, he was just, just a young, naive playboy. Yeah. So that's, that's a little perspective. Next time you flip through it, those are the alterations, uh, the, you know, the changes to the script, which, which really were kind of mandated. Like I had to make those changes if I was going to get over the line. And, so uh, did, yeah. we, did we ever find out what, where, like, what, what he was bad about, like where the money came from or anything like that? Well, no, because, like, <laughs> he was never supposed to be that character. Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't want to... I didn't want to change it too much. You know, I thought if, yeah. if, if it turns out that he's, you know, I, I didn't, it wasn't the, the aspect of the story which no. I wanted to tell. So I just story. alluded to it being dirty money, you know. Well, well there you go. See, story. I thought I thought you were very cleverly setting yourself up for a sequel where the Phantom is suddenly going to track him down. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Wow. Yeah. I thought it was well written. To know that that was a change, I mean, I heard somewhere along the way from Glenn or somebody that that, that was one of the objections and he had to be as bad as the others. And I thought, that's crazy. I don't, I don't understand that. But you did it very, very well just, just by putting it in there. And there's even that little dialogue at the end. So now, you know, what Diana says to him about you've got to come clean or something right at the end which says... Yeah, yeah, the very last panel. But... but, but you did it in such a way that we know this is not the story. This is probably just a boring story of someone who's done something dirty. It's not a phantom story and yeah. we don't need to know. Although, and it may be there's a story in it if you want, but there doesn't have to be. So you wrote around it really well and it's good that you didn't have to change too much because that would have made a different story. Suddenly you're 
focus is somewhere else, you know. Yeah, thank you, Shane. I, I appreciate yeah. you saying that because that yeah. was that was the situation I was in. You know, the yeah. they, they wanted him to be the baddie. Um, I think they expected like a quite significant rewrite. And you know, I, I was I was happy with the story that I had, and Dudley was happy, and Glenn was happy. Mm. Uh, I had to make the change, otherwise I was going to get blacklisted, and maybe I already am. <laughs> Oops, I've got to be careful what I say. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. not, aren't I? Well, it's, yeah. not, it's not always quite that because I've I've recently submitted to Fru. Um, you know, you know how they want their ten-page backup stories now because Egmont stories are shorter. Yeah. And so I've written a three-page a three. Part, well, it was a two-part story, and it's it's sort of ex, expanding on an old Lee Cybarry story. And they came back with some objections to it, and I think theirs actually made the story better. Mm-hmm. Two two were two were pretty straightforward. One was a stupid mistake on my part. I called <laughs> there's it's, it's an old phantom, and I just named the horse. I named his horse. Alita, and they said, that's Prince Valiant's wife. I go, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea where I got that from. <laughs> but, but the other one was, and I think it actually made the story stronger, and it's gone to three parts. I couldn't just change a word balloon here or there. So, but their criticisms, I thought, were actually very good. Um, so I don't understand yours. I, I didn't ask. And, and, well, you never know. I, I haven't gotten approval on the changes yet, so he's just comes. But, but uh, yeah, you just have to swallow your pride a bit, don't you? Have to realise that you know, if yeah. you're working with an editor, they have the final. They're yeah. the ones who are going to sign off on it. Yeah. Um, and also, it was it was a learning curve for me because all of my comic work, um, I've had editors, but they haven't really been editors. They've been friends, and they've been people who've proofread. Like like my good friend. Um, Roger Stitson, who's edited a lot of my stuff over the years, he hasn't actually ever sort of interfered or, or, or suggested changes to the story. He's really just ever read it and proofread it and just done a bit of, like, fact-checking. So with, um, with this particular edit, I, there was no point, like, digging my feet in because who am I, you know? Yeah, got no credit, credit with them yet. Yeah, so I made the changes. But you never know, do you? Because, like, I'm in touch with, uh, you know, Roy Thomas, who used to be Stan Lee's right-hand man at Marvel, and he's talked a lot about, you know, he's been, like, the head of all Marvel comics. And then when he moves over to DC at some point, suddenly you get someone who's never written a thing demanding changes of his stuff. And you think, well, you don't mind being asked for changes if you know the editor's got a good track run and you know what they're like. But if you're a seasoned person and someone off the street who's doesn't learn more ask for a change, you think, well, they'd want to know what they're asking for. See, like you say, though, the ones who have the power are the ones who can veto, but you're not alone when it comes to that. You know, people like Roy and all that sort of stuff, they've been on the receiving end of stuff you'd think they would never get mm. you know, with their history. So it happens. But by the same token, I'm happy so far with the, with the, with the uh, changes that King have asked of my little story. It sounds very different from your experience. <laughs> well, look, it was just one minor thing. At the end of the day, it, I was able to just sort of work around it and make yeah, and it worked. My, minor changes to about four or five panels mm. to, to allude to him being in some way crooked. Um, you know, it wasn't like there was no need for a total rewrite. But yeah. with uh, A Day at the Races, 
you know, the feedback from the story, that, their words, it was excellent. Like there wasn't a single thing they wanted changed about that story whatsoever. Um, it was just the panels and the art was, was crap. <laughs> <laughs> That's very readable. I read it again the other day and I love the final panel in Day at the Races where Diana just says, Mask Man, and that's the end. <laughs> Was he here? That's very good. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Oh, it's, it's, it's amazing. Um, is there any, any panels you wanted to go over, Dan? Any, uh, any others? Oh, look, I think, um, you know, I've already mentioned the uh, As You Were panel and um, I, I, I think we've, we've discussed every, every page I look at as I flick through mm. the comic sitting next to me here, you're like, oh, well, that's that, you can picture that being um, a McCoy image or, or even some uh, more images as well. And, you know, it's, it's almost a bit of fun going, well, who, whose body was Shane in as he drew this particular picture uh, or who, who's, uh, whose eyes were Matt looking through when uh, he envisaged the way this came about. So uh, there's, just, there's just so many. Uh, it, it hardly seems worth going through panel by panel in a sense. Um, I, I must say, though, we, we've talked about, and you mentioned before, um, Matt, about the uh, the yellow bar across the top of the cover. I also really liked the what Frew did, and I guess at the end of the day, what Dudley did by including uh, this yeah. page on page three. It's the it's the replica for those who came in late, the original Ray Moore, which they they use in all of the uh, the replica issues. But to have that on the front of this story that then is very much of the same feel, I thought yeah. that was a really nice touch too. I love it too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I love it. That's, pro that's probably my favourite ever image of the Phantom. I love it. Yeah, definitely. Um, Which story does it come out of? Oh, I, I, found it, I found it. It's about the it's about the ninth story or something, the Fishes of Pearls or the Slave Traders. Done. It's that one of those, that image of the Phantom there. Yeah. It, it, it. it feels like it comes out of every Phantom story <laughs> Because it does. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a beauty. One one uh, change I've noticed Shane made um, is that <clears throat> my story um, all took place on the second story of that building, but Shane's brought all the action or the whole story down to the the first level. Ooh. Yeah, I remember that. What uh, was that? Because was that because someone clambered in through a window, and I thought, how'd they do that? Or something. I vaguely remember doing that. Actually, <laughs> well, that was what I was going to mention before about the as you were pose. Diana climbs in through a window much earlier in the in the story, um, and I've only just I've only just taken the bookmark out on what page that was. Page fifteen. Oh, there was earlier. page fifteen of the comic. She oh, she's listening. Yeah, there she goes on the page fifteen. Yeah, yeah. In, in my original um, pages, I had a, a panel where Diana actually scaled up the side of the building um, to the second floor, and I found a picture, um, a very, very famous picture, an often used picture of the phantom scaling, but I changed it into Diana. And then at the end where the phantom jumps out the window, he doesn't just jump out a window onto the street, like he jumps out of the first or the second-story building. So, um, so those changes probably were better that the chain had made those changes because it's a bit ridiculous really that Diana would scale a building, if I'm honest, as, as capable as she is. It's a bit silly. So I'm, I'm glad you made that change. Especially if everything's going on on the first floor and she doesn't really need to. <laughs> uh, 
I was just wondering if I'd totally stuffed up the No, no, no. <laughs> no, actually, you, there, there was a scene where um, the police are told to go upstairs, so you drew about three yeah. steps. Yeah, it's like a just a... a little raised section. Yeah. So that works. Actually, I do remember there was a number of times when I'd drawn something and then I, you had something in the script and I thought, oh, heck. <laughs> and it was a little bit later, I have to put stairs in or something. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was there was yeah something like that. I think I had to. I remember like when the Phantom does come in the window, I had to make sure. Ooh, I did something so to make sure they're all placed in the right place in the room or something. I, I can't remember now. It was interesting. I don't. I don't know why I thought yours didn't quite work, or maybe I'd done something which mucked up your staging. I'm not sure. Yeah, I can't remember now. There's where the phantom comes through the window. Yeah, he has to be able to shoot the gun out of the hand. Mm. I don't know. There she is, whacking somebody again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, we make Diana tough, don't we? Oh, yeah. That's it. Yeah, it's good. Um, there was another panel that I've just found as well. Which one was it? This one here looks like I couldn't find the panel when I was uh, looking for it just then. But I think that panel was out of Little Tomma or, or something where the Lord Revel um, mm. is mm. is um, contemplating what to do with Little Tomma. And then there was another one that I just found when the girl blows the lock. This one here, that comes out of the Golden Circle. I think it is. This one here. Ah, uh, yeah. There's a lot of out of the golden circle. The one where they're all meeting together, huddled together under the pipe. That, yeah, that's lifted off a panel. Yeah, that would be. There's, uh, there's the panel of hang on, I'll room stop. That, that Matt had done. Hang on, just sorry, just give me two seconds. I'll just stop yeah. sharing, and then I will pin you so you can talk. Ah, uh, just saying that's the panel. I've got the panel here of the guy of Sydney at the desk. To be perfectly honest, I, I can't remember where that came from. Actually, <laughs> I, I don't remember referencing it anywhere else. I just think I had a go at it and yeah. just just made it a darker room and shattered it differently. I virtually, I mean, I, I've virtually done just done your layout, but re-inked it there. Yeah. So um, I don't know if it mimics a little Toma panel. That's that's just the vibe. <laughs> I think I, I can I can picture the panel you're talking about with Lord Revel. Um, I don't remember if I I'm, I'd have to dig it out. I don't remember if I used that one or if it might have been something from a, a McCoy or it might have been from um, yeah. It might have been Mysterious Girl or it might have just been oh, my, yeah. my panel. Would you I have used I'm... any any more panels for the pictures with the males? Because I thought I only referenced more for the women yeah i don't think i used more because there's all. plenty of plenty of mccoy yeah like if you, if you look through that the races you'll find plenty of more there yeah. but you know i just had a whole stack of mccoys out so i don't i, I can't remember where that's from what do you what do you reckon your ratio would be in terms of panels you know would it be one in Ten panels that you've referenced to McCoy or more, or one in five, or what, what sort of ratio do you think you've um, used those panels? Um, I don't know. Um, I don't like a lot of the panels. 
uh, are, are free. They're, they're not a recreation of any panel whatsoever. So that no, one might that it might not be a recreation at all. Um, but I, f- I found it. You're right. It was a mysterious girl. So no. I'll just share it. Um, where are we? There's kind of like two that look very similar. So there's that one there. Yeah, I don't think that's it. And then there's that one there as well, where he's on the same similar pose. So. Yeah, that might have been it. Yeah. Well, that's even got the shadow in the same place. Yeah. So I've taken that, but I've added a bit of a, a McCoy look to it. Yeah. It does, if you come back to it, it does, can you see, it does look like it because the shadow is the same blob. Yeah. That bloke mm. Well, there you go. Ah. Well, this has been fun. I've really been enjoying uh, finding all these panels and, uh, and stuff like that. Um, uh, you were right. It was uh, story nine uh, where the that Ray Moore panel came from as well. Oh, really? Yeah. So um, I found that one as well while we've been talking. I've just I've really been um, enjoying just digging through the stories and and, and because and I think that's what makes this story so good is that. Uh, the story good but also the experience as well is because um it's been reminding me of of falling in love with the phantom and, and stuff like that uh that's it just there oh there it is yeah yeah i think i read once that whoever did that did the artwork for fruit like they, they they copied that picture they must have you know swapped it around and traced it but they had to make up the bottom of it and if you look at that the picture like the, the belt and the legs and everything, it's not quite as good as the top half. Mm. Yeah, I'll, I'm just showing that now. On yeah. The, and this is in 1892. But I think yeah. you're right because it's um, the panel that Germ just showed us is kind of from the elbows up. Um, and the stripes on the pants are going in the wrong direction. Yeah, and he just looks a little bit too skinny for a bloke with that top yeah. half. Yeah, <laughs> that's <the> true. <laughs> Oh, well, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's amazing. That's, very awesome. So um, yeah. I think, uh, so I, I caught another question for you, Matt. This is another one that uh, appeared on social media. Um, uh, as a lot of, there was a lot of fans discussing it, a lot of fans loving it and stuff like that. Uh, this was made by one fan. Uh, he, who begins with I, will remain nameless. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was reading... Mr. I today. (laughs) He made a comment about news stories being based in the 1930s and 40s where in today's world it will be the 19th Phantom. Now, to be fair, I think that's actually a good question. Where does – because I know, Shane, your Scorpius stories were based in the 50s, 60s? Right when – yeah, they're virtually when – the era when Cyberry takes over. It's right there. Yeah, so – Ender McCoy, yeah. Yeah, so both of you have written Phantom stories which would have featuring our 21st Phantom in a timeline where, where it's we impossible. look at it yeah, today that it's impossible. So uh, this is a question for both of you. So I'd love to hear your insights on this. Where, where, where do you sit with that? How do you work around that um, uh, and stuff like that? Um, well, remember, I made a a bit of a, it might have been controversial, but an idea which I, I pitched in one of my my segments, one of my episodes of the X-Band, was that a real missed opportunity 
that Volk had was not to age his characters in real time because of, of all the characters that exist, their timeline is the thing which screws them up, like the Punisher. Did he go to Vietnam or did he go to Desert Storm or what, what, what did he go to? Yeah. And, you know, time is the biggest enemy of all these characters. Yep. And the, the Phantom is probably the only character that wouldn't have that problem Correct. if Falk had the foresight to age him as he went. And there is another, like, Savage Dragon. That comic is in real time. Eric Larson is keeping that character so his kids grow up. Now, I'm, you know, I'm not going to criticise Lee Falk for not having that idea back in the 30s, but to me, the Phantom was in his 20s in the 30s. Yeah. You know, when he met Diana and in the, in the first story, he was probably about 25 or something like that. So that's, that's just how I see it. I don't see the Phantom in a contemporary... Um, I don't see that Phantom in a contemporary setting. If I wrote a contemporary Phantom story, I probably wouldn't allude to him being the 21st. I wouldn't do it to, like, annoy people, but I probably wouldn't have... Diana in it or Devil. I'd probably just have like a, a phantom story where it's a bit ambiguous who the phantom is. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Shane, what do you think? I've actually done that in Scorpius too. I know I, it, it's all hinged on Alexander's cup. You know, that's where the first, the, the stealing of the phantom, one of the phantom's um, chronicles. You know, the guy who stole Alexander's cup also stole a chronicle, you know, and that's that's how the Phantom Sir Falcon thing first joined up. And everyone's followed on since then. So I'm sort of stuck in that time thing a little bit. Um, but I haven't, apart from Diana and the first Falcon thing, I haven't put her in, in Scorpius at all. And I think that's probably to keep the Phantom sort of aloof a little bit. So even though it's stuck in that time, it, you don't have to be in that sort of time that's not really answering the question every comic character has got this problem you know like the fantastic four were created in 1961 and they met silver surfer and galactus in 1965 and now it's what it's, uh, how many years later 20 60 70 years later and johnny storm's still a, a youthful idiot you know it's you really run into problems with that i agree with matt in that the phantom really had a way of continuing yeah. on without it being it and i think a lot of the sexual tension in it could have been maintained. Like once the Phantom is married and has kids, grow his kids up, and then you've got an unmarried Phantom. Correct. And um, like I always wonder with, um, you know, like Edgar Rice Burroughs who wrote Tarzan, he marries Jane at the end of the first story arc, but then they have a son, Korak, and at the end of the story, the son of Tarzan, Korak marries Miriam, a girl. I think, oh, leave him free. You know, once people's an old married man, it actually changes them a bit. And a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of story writers deliberately keep the romance in trouble and not married so they don't settle down. So there's always the, the possibility of something else happening, you know. And um, and for me, it doesn't really work when you get, like, the, the Egmont story, the last one, you know, where the two kids have grown up and the Phantom's disappeared. You know how... Yeah. The writer there said the Phantom's gone for a while and he's playing with the idea of the next generation of Phantoms without without cutting it in stone that the Phantom's gone. But in that, he's got the Diana and the Phantom have broken up, 
you know, and I to me that after all these years of the Diana story, that, that doesn't work to me. Correct. <laughs> She's annoyed with him because there's this horrible subplot of maybe the Phantom's got another child. <laughs> I hate that. I cannot believe King let that go through. I think, didn't they edit anything? you got to be kidding me. Yeah, why, why they put us through the ringer and they let that go? Yeah, yeah, they let that go and it's still going on. I noticed the kid's name is Nadir. Nadir, yeah. what? Nadir the rock bottom. Correct. <laughs> Correct. We've made this point on the podcast before. You guys I know. And I, over actually, here. I mean, I like all the other characters they've got. Um, what's her name? Sing, Sandal Singh. She's fine, but, ah, oh, you know, and even the incident where this child is supposed to have been conceived i think oh that's shocking wouldn't work <laughs> All these, anyway that's not the question the question is i i disagree with um reader commenter i that it's confusing it's not confusing i don't think in, in australia there are reprints of the phantom all the time if you do one that looks like an old one and feels like an old one then it is an old one i mean the phantom's been married to diana since the mid-70s that's the confusing bit, not that we're still doing stories that put them back or anything. And and he sort of said something about, well, there was a Phantom in the 40s, if you want to make it look like that. But most stories of the Phantom, of previous Phantoms, are not done in old styles. They're done in modern styles, you know, and, and Egmont loved doing stories of the Phantom. I think you say it, don't you, Dan? They're always in Europe. He's never in the jungle. Correct. <laughs> and I think you're exactly right there. You're exactly right. Um but and they're never done in old styles, so the, the style of the story isn't the point. And if there's a market here for for people that like something like a McCoy story, then go for it. And if if in Europe there is no market for McCoy stories, well, don't print it. But they did print My Jungle Love. They, you know, that went into one of their Phantom Men. Yeah, true. And it also it also the included end. the missing page as well. They did. Yes, I've got a copy. I got pity to send me one, <laughs> so I've got it here. So, yeah, yeah no, I, I actually don't agree with that at all. I, I sort of think, nah, if you, yeah. Oh, if I'm it's glad, old, I'm, people like it. And I'm glad I asked that question. That was a great response. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to watch it back later and see what I said. <laughs> and let us make the point that we are all happily married as well. So um, <laughs> we all love our wives as well. Yeah. So what, we may want the phantom not to be married, we are happily married. Uh, that's right. That, that's just a storytelling. Thing, yeah. <laughs> that, that's how we get our sexual tension, Jeremy, is through our comic books. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sad. You've got to go to a comic book for it. Anyway, yeah, that's right. But they tell a good story. That's how you get it. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, wow. I, I find it confusing when, you know, a, a couple of years ago there was a story that came out. It was called 1945. And, you know, I remember reading that and thinking, who is this supposed to be? Like, well, what's, what's going on here? And then, you know, we've got Kid Phantom, and that was set in the 60s. Um, yeah. There's stories where the Phantom was a child in the 20s. You know, it's just, it's, it's not even worth getting upset about. Like, just, it is what it is. I think Shane's summed it up before that there, there's a market for our story in Australia, and that yeah. market might not exist elsewhere, but... Who cares? Yeah, and I think the market's a great point. Like, the reason why in the Egmont stories he's always in Europe is because they're writing for the European market. That's their primary market. 
So, of course, they're going to target their primary market. The Australian readers, we're only the secondary market. We're not their primary market. But it was Egmont that did the, the Phantom Visiting Australia too. Yeah. yeah. They, like, those stories are really good. I love the historical stories. I love seeing the Phantom in Belgium and France and all over. Yeah, the world. I do as well. Yeah, yeah it's great. Um, I, I, I mean, there aren't many Phantom stories I don't like, to be perfectly honest. Yes. I, I cop that, but as I as Shane alluded to before, how can you become a jungle legend if you're never actually in the jungle and you're uh, spending most of your second, third, fourth, fifth phantom generations over in Scandinavia and Europe? But anyway, I digress. Anyway, that's another podcast for another time, I think. Um, so, guys, before we uh, wrap up, and I think there's one or two more questions, has there been anything that we might have missed that you want to raise or show us or anything like that? Uh, no, not from my end. I'm, I'm happy with the discussion as it's going. The only thing I can think of as I flick through is that I remember asking Matt when uh, when Diana's phantom costume is put on the mannequin, do I draw it with bullet holes? <laughs> and uh, Matt said, no, they don't do that in comics, but I put a couple there anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just remember when, when Salah um, shot the Phantom um, point blank in the chest and, uh, and he didn't die and he didn't even have a bullet hole. So, yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, the, bar- that was the Baroness. Oh, the Baroness, yeah. The as, Baroness. He's get- as he's getting patched up by the doctor, he's like, oh, bullet holes, and he goes... Never met a female that can shoot straight. Yeah. And the doctor says it didn't touch any vital organs yeah. <laughs> or vital areas or something. Yeah. I do remember a bullet hole in the phantom suit in that side barrier. So it's the one with Julie. Remember when the phantom is lying in, you can see the big bullet hole open when the doctor comes. Is it the Julie story? Whoa. Yeah. Um, oh, it's no. one of the early Cyberries. That would be Lucy Carey. The uh, Doctor Carey's sister. Yeah, maybe? Lucy. Yeah, it's one of those. Anyway, he's lying there, and Cyberry draws a beautiful bullet hole. <laughs> there you go. Cyberry <laughs> draws a beautiful everything. <laughs> <laughs> so talking talking about beautiful artwork. Um, now there's a lot of collectors that um that read this um or listen sorry listen and watch this podcast uh shane matt any plans on selling the artwork do you um or or matt any plans of putting the original story how it was somewhere so people can kind of you know see see what it looked like before or or anything like that yeah look um if (laughs) if anyone wants to buy the unused art just give me a hoi hoi (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know if, if, if the market for, for that art is, is non-existent. You know, like it's it's a shame that 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 art didn't go to print, and I I assume that'll affect people's interest in it. Um, you know, and I hope that that, that it, I'm not not sure if Shane sells his work. If, if you do, I hope you're very successful. Um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm not sure how this one's going to work out for me. How big did you do it? The original. Uh, it's on um, eleven by seventeen standard comic page. Oh, like yeah, no, like A three size. Like yeah, yeah. It's just, just, just bigger. Slightly taller than A three. Yeah. Okay. Mm. It yeah, would be. A, 
yeah, it would be amazing to get if you do get art and Shane, if you do sell, you can let us know in a second, but to get kind of like the same piece done by both because then you could, you know, frame it, put the two originals and then get a, get a copy of the comic and, and, and show that. And because there'll be a nice little story that kind of goes with that. It'll be mm. a nice, um, you know, a story to be able to show off when people look at your collection and that. Yeah, absolutely. So Shane, are you selling? Oh, I, well, actually, like I said, it's I'm a bit embarrassed about it because it's only on photocopy paper. It's not done on proper artwork. But like all my others, uh, and um, that was a pretty poor decision of mine, I think. But although most of it, right? Um, I haven't sold any Phantom stuff yet, except um, I think I let let the one Phantom and the Baroness get auctioned off at the last Phantom dinner and. The very first page of the very first Fal- Sir Falcon story is is gone, but other um, than that, I've still got them. I've been hanging on to them. So, um, hmm. um, oh. I will wonder if anybody's interested in this. Yeah, I'd. Um, you must be getting late. <laughs> <laughs> that was Diana and Devil just came in. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, if anyone was interested in in this stuff, yeah, sure, I'd let it go. It's um. Uh, that's all I can say this day. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. All right, you listen to it. Um, so yeah, so I really, really appreciate you guys' time. Um, Shane, I know you're on Facebook and Instagram. Um, so we'll yeah, sure. Instagram's there because my wife put me there. I can't. I, I don't know what to do with Instagram. <laughs> it can, it confuddles me. Facebook, yeah, I understand that. <laughs> no worries. So we'll make sure we put links up. Uh, Matt, you're not on social media at the moment. No, I gave it all up at the end of last year. Um, I, I'm available via email. <laughs> okay. Do you want to give your email out or if people want to get in contact with you, they can contact us? Yeah. That well, yeah. That, that's a good question. Um, all, all of my comics, my self-published comics, have my email in them. Um, if anyone's got those, they can just find me there. But I guess if anyone wants to get onto me, you know, maybe they could do it via you guys, via the Chronicle Chamber. No worries. We can pass yeah. this email on. Um, I believe you've also got a website uh, where people can buy some of your other work as well. It's O1D or something. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. That, that's, a, that's a website which features a lot of um, indie local comics. Um, it's Owner Indie. It's ownindie.com. It's, yeah, it's uh, a lot of people don't know how to pronounce it, and you know it, it's a confusing-looking name. But yeah, that, that's that's well worth looking at. Like a lot of a lot of uh, local artists, comic artists, have got their work there. That's where you can find my independent work. Um, so I don't sell phantom stuff through there. I sell my own uh, like independent comics. Yep. But yeah, that's pretty much um, like I don't have any other any other websites or social media at the moment at all. These are all old school artists. Yeah. <laughs> Doing old school work. I love it. Um, Dan, I, have you... I know how to do computer lettering in a comic now. That's, that's, <laughs> so I'm, I'm nearly digital. <laughs> well done. <laughs> uh, Dan, you got anything you want to add before we sign off? Oh, look, I would just say um, thank you to both of you guys for your time tonight. It's been a real privilege to, and I know I didn't realise this was going to happen as we as we sat down, but to be part of the first conversation that you guys have had face-to-face and 
uh, and even voice to voice by the sounds, it's all been email and tech, you know, messages beforehand. So, been a real privilege to be a fly on the wall for that conversation, and uh, and 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 uh, just the honesty about the whole process. And Matt and you, in particular, I think, given the circumstances of all of this, really appreciate what you were able to share, and uh, really special to be part of that. And uh, and I hope the listeners get a, a feel for the gravitas of that as well, because um, just have really enjoyed um, hearing hearing everything about it from you guys. Thank you so much. Yeah. My pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. It's been been very good. Thanks. It's been great talk to you, Matt. <laughs> yes. Awesome. So we, we appreciate both of you. We appreciate your candidness and your honesty. And um, uh, we had fun. I hope your listeners had just as much fun listening or watching. Uh, as we said before, if you are an audio listener, uh, this may be one that you want to jump onto YouTube and rewatch because there's a lot of art, a lot of panels that get discussed and stuff like that and shown. Um, so it will be a real visual treat. Now, if you want to find us, of course, we are on, on, on you can find us on our website, which is chroniclechamber.com. Our email is chroniclechamber at gmail.com. So if you want to get in touch with Matt, uh, and you can't find his email address, uh, give us a call and we can um, uh, pass on his email address that way. Now, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or Spotify or via various other apps like Podbean, Player FM, CastBox, Listen Notes, and, of course, as we discussed, you can also watch us on YouTube. So a thank you from everyone who jo- uh, who's listened to us. Thank you, Shane, Matt, and Dan for uh, joining us today. And from myself, happy phantoming. Happy phantoming, everybody. Happy Sir Falconing. Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) That's a bit rude, sorry. Happy phantoming. (laughs) 500 years ago, he washed ashore the sole survivor of a shipwreck. And upon the skull of the man who killed his dad, he said, I'm mad, I must eradicate piracy, injustice and cruelty. And all my sons will follow me, so evildoers will believe that this Man cannot die. The Phantom, the ghost who walks. The Phantom, enemies beware. The Phantom's always there, but you won't find the Phantom. He finds.